Hi, I'm Laura Allen. And I'm Liv Austin. And you're listening to My Amazing Mess. A weekly podcast where we talk to creatives who are right in the middle of developing their unique careers. They are totally honest with us about what it takes to pursue their dream job. The exciting highs, the disheartening lows, and, and the, the amazing mess that is everything in between. Knew it would nail that. So today we are talking to another person that we went to drama school with. I swear it's not just so we can hang out with our friends. They are very interesting people, aren't they? Yeah, they are very interesting, but it's a good excuse, right? It is a good excuse. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We're talking to Peter Groom, who has gone on since we knew him at drama school to create a lot of theatre himself, which we thought was just an obvious person that we wanted to talk to because creating something and, you know, putting on a show, it's just, it's a pretty big task that yeah. a lot of people probably want to do, but maybe most of us don't actually do it so yeah it's I mean it's one of those things that you you come out into any industry and the idea of just kind of following quite a linear path of getting someone else to give you a job is is in whatever way um is kind of the way you assume things might go and it's been really interesting to chat to Pete to see uh how he's created his own work and his own career and his own path really in the industry in the last five six years you know there's something really similar about all the people that we speak to but what was different about Pete at the same time was that his drive has kind of always come from just the next thing that he wants to create rather than thinking about his career and where he's going with his career and I think that was really lovely to hear him talk about that in such a different approach because he just his focus is always on the show or the thing that he's interested in at the time and he's done some pretty cool jobs as well <laughs> yeah yeah but he was uh, you know one of the people that we kind of think right now is is doing it right in the middle of the mess of it and um a really interesting person to kind of find out how he's navigating his way through it all so uh hope you enjoy this episode with peter groom Hi, everybody. We are uh, sitting here with our friend and uh, colleague from years ago, Peter Groom. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> good. Last time I saw you, I was seeing your performance at uh, Wilton's Music Hall, mm -hmm. which was, how, when was that? It was like uh, November. Uh, November. Mm -hmm. We trained with Pete at drama school back, and this is the, our second member of our series who we've trained with yeah, so. Sabrina too yeah yes. Sabrina so it's mm -hmm. actually been really interesting to because we kind of catch up with each other on the odd <laughs> drink or whatsapp message when something's going on in London and the group's like how is everyone okay um but it's been so interesting to find out like what everyone's getting up to so how how have things been since since drama school we we all graduated in 2013 and then what happened straight straight after drama school what was the kind of step out into the industry do you remember? It was yeah. like however many years ago. <laughs> Stepping out into the industry is a is a lovely way of putting it. <laughs> um, thrown, slung out. <laughs> thrown. Do you know what the best bit of advice I ever got from drama school was a teacher we had called Jonathan Holloway, and he pulled me aside just before we left, and he said they're gonna they're gonna try and tell you that graduating is like a big you know tada fanfare and trumpets, and he said it's gonna feel like falling off the back of a bus, <laughs> and that got me really through because you know you, you they build you to this impossible thing and you have the showcase and your men feel like here it is 
And of course, nobody calls. And <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or like a couple of people call and you might have meetings or whatever. But then you don't get a, you know, a job and at a big theater and go and do it. So mm. or you or you hear about everyone else that's getting the calls and it's not. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And you're Absolutely. wondering so what you're doing wrong and Yeah, I think the first thing I did we got a call from a guy called Rupert Holloway, Jonathan Holloway's son. I think there's about eight of us all got called to do this improvised play at the courtyard, which was a nice bridge because it sort of was still being with everybody but in a professional environment. Then we did this play for a month maybe two months I can't remember really but it was it wasn't great um, <laughs> no but it well, wasn't it was improvised uh, yeah but there was a structure but it was all improvised based around a card game I don't I can't remember if I, I don't think if I you ever to told me about this you yeah need to. I don't think we told many people about <laughs> it <laughs> okay well this is when it's all gonna come out because yeah. I want to hear about this oh geez it, I mean it was nice and look we, we, we were with people that we knew and we trained with so it I think that kind of experience with any other group of people would have been really stressful. But because we knew each other and we trained and you knew how other people worked, it was okay. But yeah, we, we all had characters that we worked on, but then the actual play was improvised. And then it became even more improvised because on the first night, we did the first night, um, it was okay. Um, and Ashley Gale, who was in it, had an accident on the way home that night and he called me the next day maybe maybe we were called at five he called me at four it's like peter i'm gonna be a bit late hmm. i said why and he's like well i'm in hospital i was like what and he's like yeah i've broken and he listed all the things that he broke and he's like so maybe gonna be like an hour and a half late i was like you're not leaving that hospital there's no way i mean he shoulders and ribs and whatever so we went to the theater and the director just said to me, oh, well, can you play his part too? I was like, but I already have a part. And he's like, yeah, just make them one person. So I was like, well, I don't know how to, I mean, what? This is at like six, maybe. He's like, just make them one big person. I was like, but okay. And one character that I was already playing, that point was that he was the sort of outsider and on the outside of the group. I think they'd all gone to school together, all these people in this play. Or I don't know. How meta. I know. <laughs> um, drawing on our real experiences. <laughs> and um, But he was married to India, who was another girl we went to drama school with. So he went, oh, so you just be married to India now too. I was like, but how can I be a, you know, an outcast from the group and all this stuff and then suddenly have this wife? He's like, yeah. And, and so I remember saying to India, maybe five minutes before the show started, 25 past seven, I was like, so you know, we're husband and wife. Should we think of like a relationship? Maybe we should play for the next two hours. She went, yeah, let's just really hate each other. I was like, all right, great. We didn't say anything more about it. So we just went out and did it. And we had a massive fight and we threw water at each other and she hit me and it was nuts. But it was really fun. Hold up. She hit you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She actually hit you? She actually hit me, yeah. That's amazing. I mean, pretty lucky that you guys had all trained together to have the trust to be able to do, throw something like yeah. that in. Yeah, but... totally. Yeah, I remember everybody else around the table because we'd said we're going to hate each other. So we knew that we would really play that. But everybody else didn't. And everyone was kept looking at us like, oh, my God, what's going on? They're having this real something's happened. But that was the that was the first thing. And then um, and then I moved to Berlin. 
That's what I did. Yes. And I'm very interested to hear about that. Just quickly going back, just to kind of introduce to to people like where you came from and stuff. Because I I, I kind of find it so interesting to think like you leave drama school, as we talk about, it's like this huge build up. Try and get yourself an agent, you know, someone who can get. And you have these ideas of what the first job is going to be, you know, and all that sort of stuff. And you kind of, you know, it's going to be hard, but not really for you. You know, it's going to be great. Mm. So, so when you were growing up, uh, wanting to to be a performer, be an actor. What kind of got you into it? What sort of what age were you? What made you interested in theatre? I can't remember not doing it. I mean, I I think I was always had some kind of urge to perform in some way. I used to s- you sing a lot and dance around a lot and that kind of thing. And I I knew that I was funny. I'm one of three and the youngest, so I think that you know you need to get some kind of attention somehow. <laughs> that was always there, but. I guess properly, I was part of a group called First Act Theatre in Newcastle, which is where I'm from. They had this amazing, inside a hospital, the the big old Victorian theatre. It was beautiful. I mean, it sat like 100 people. And it was run by a guy called Barry Wilmot. And he ran drama classes during the week. And he would also do shows. And he'd cast the shows from the classes. And I think maybe I went there when I was seven or eight and was in things like Christmas Carol and Wind in the Willows and all these things and I guess the more you went to the classes the bigger and bigger parts he gave you and he'd cast you then in plays or in musicals and then I think I was lucky to have landed at a time in that group where there was about five of us who were all still friends who have but weirdly all went on to be actors Um, and so we all took it very seriously maybe some people went just after school or whatever but the five of us and because we were the same age, we were playing opposite each other in a lot of the stuff. So there's five of us who all really wanted to do it. And his daughter, Lynn Wilmot, was um, an actor and was in Les Mis and Jerry Springer, the opera, the original cast, lots of amazing career. And she came back to Newcastle for a couple of years and directed at that theatre group. So we were 14, 15, 16 and getting directed by an actual actor working in London, which then seemed like a, wow, she works in London, mm-hmm. you know? And that was amazing. And she would really, and we, she was doing difficult stuff with us. We did Into the Woods, I remember once. And I was 16. We did a production of A Country Wife, um, which was awful. I think actually maybe from the outside it was good, but we were just, I think, or I was just too young. I, I think it was just went a bit above my head. But she did do stuff like, I think Into the Woods was very formative um, because she just made you work hard and she wouldn't accept any rubbish. And I remember once she would really work things like you would work it in a rehearsal and she would really push you and push you. I remember not being, singing something and being a bit lazy. And and she said to me, she, she pushed me and we worked it and then it was okay. And she said to me, if you can be that good, don't be bad. She was like, don't come in and give me rubbish because if you came in with what you could be good at by the time we'd worked that we could really have something but if you're lazy and come in and shrug it off which is you know as a 16 year old I just came after school I don't know but actually that it was um great and she she had trained at Central so she sort of opened that door to the idea of drama schools when I think back to people kind of pushing me to to be slicker tighter you know doing that same thing because I had a director the same thing where 
I, I, my excuse would be, but I'll be all right when I get on stage because there's no one sitting in front of me. Mm. And she was like, but if we're in the rehearsal room and you're doing the best you can do here, think where you're going to get to by the time you get on stage. And I could never really grasp it. It wasn't really until mm. I was training that that happened. So you were kind of 16 or something. When did you yeah. start thinking, I'm going to do this kind of professionally and go down the vocational training route? Well, when I didn't get into drama school. <laughs> so I was saying that there's the five of us. We all auditioned. They all got in and I didn't. So they all went off to London. And I was in Newcastle. And I was like, well, I can't sit here. I mean, what am I going to do? And by this time, Lynn had moved back to London. Uh, and she had a room in her flat, which she said, look, you can come and stay in my flat and get a job. And so I got a job in a in the playhouse, work in front of house at the playhouse. And I was just 18. And it, I remember getting like £280 a week and thinking that was like the most money I had ever seen or had ever and I remember they told me they said oh it's going to be 280 pounds I was like oh that's great and I felt I can't remember how it came out but they said a week I said what I thought it was 280 a month and they said no 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 a week I was like oh my god and so I just went crazy and then applied the next year to get in but I think that time was interesting because it gave me time to think about what not what kind of actor I wanted to be but you do think that you think oh well, what kind of work do I like and and also I think you know, I'd done those things at drama group, but I'd never like read a lot of plays. I'd never like seen a lot of theatre. So suddenly to be in London and have what I thought then was an extraordinary amount of money to go and see theatre and go and read plays and, and find out about companies that I liked and take workshops with them. I did like, I did a clowning workshop with Complicite. I think I did two of them, which now looking back, I don't know how I did that. But I think, I remember at the time, the guy who run it, said to me, he's like, how old are you again? I said, oh, I'm 18. And I was like, what? And he's like, I was smoking weed in a bush at 18. And that's amazing that you can do this. And maybe now I look back and go, oh yeah, that was quite amazing that you managed to find that, get yourself there. But I think it's maybe just more, um, not stupidity, but I think when you're young, you just think you don't know what can go wrong. So you just try. I'm really glad that I didn't get in that first year. Yeah, that year sounds like a bit of a gift. Uh, in a way, it's one of those typical moments where you think, I'm sure at the time it was really frustrating to see your friends that you felt so close to and you th thought we were all going to we're all going to go off to Lond London to drama school and then you're kind of left behind mm. you know in that moment it feels probably like that and then mm -hmm. you've been given this amazing gift of a year of actually finding yourself uh, learning about theatre it's it's wonderful. Yeah. At that time, if we think if we're just for people that are listening that don't know about the the audition process for getting into drama school, do you just pick the one school, the the one that you've dreamed about, or do you give yourself the most chance? What was your approach to it? Did you think I'm going to just keep going at this until I get it, or did you think I'm going to try for a couple of years and then if all else fails, become a, an accountant? Or <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I ever thought past the second year. Really, I didn't have that thing of. Because you meet people on that audition circuit, you know, who you met. Oh, I saw you sing your song at Central last April or whatever. I never thought, oh, I'll have three goes and then I'll leave it. Because I think I just believed in it. Also, at maybe, well, no, not stupidly. I, I think I was good enough to get in. And I think, I think I was lucky that there was people in my corner too, like Lynn, like my friend Molly, who had got into Guildford the year above me. So speaking to her... I, you know, I, I knew that I was as good as them because we'd been together and I was like, so it must just be a, it must just be that this year is weird. And so I just have to do it next year and, and, and be better as much as I can 
with the little knowledge that I have, just try and find out more. And, and I think it's a strange thing because, you know, you're looking for, you're trying to cast yourself almost with no knowledge of what you are or what people might look at you as. I look back and, you, you know, you think, God, why did you do that speech from that play? That's so inappropriate. Or you you're, you would never, ever be cast as that person or, you know, oh, well, he, you know, he's, he's 60, but, you know, they'll see through, they'll see my acting through the speech. And you think, oh, God. And I remember actually really clearly, it's just come back to me, doing a speech about a guy who was gay and thinking that was really controversial. But, but it, maybe it was for me at that time, I don't know. But I remember thinking like, oh, oh, this is edgy. <laughs> but maybe for me it was. I, it's a, I think it can be a really difficult process. But again, I think I was lucky in that I had a job in that theatre, front of house, and all the people who work front of house are, you know, dancers or actors or trying to get into drama school or, you know, trying to get a job or whatever it is. I remember one this Portuguese dancer called Maria I had a, maybe it was GSA, I don't know. It would fit the life story if it was GSA. The next day I had my audition and we were working together in the theatre selling ice cream at the interval. She was like, oh, you're really nervous. I was like, yeah, I have this audition tomorrow and you know, blah, blah, blah. She went, why, why are you nervous? I said, well, you know, it's the audition. She went, you're going to walk in the room and they're going to judge you. That's the point. And then they're going to say yes or they're going to say no. She said, there is nothing unknown in that situation. And I thought, God, if you think about it like that, that's fine. That's there's no there isn't any unknown. You know, I think it's when you cr- try and kid yourself like, oh, it's fine. It's a safe environment. It's all going to be fine. No, you're there to be judged. That's their job. And if you're cool with that, then great. I mean, it's the the industry we've got into, isn't it? If you're deciding you want to be an actor, there's not one actor on the planet that's not judged on a daily basis. You know, any film, even the biggest Hollywood movie stars, there's always somebody that doesn't like the film or somebody doesn't like their acting yeah. or anything so yeah that's an amazing and now with social media you hear about it all the time they oh, can exa- just yeah tweet you. <laughs> yeah exactly Tro- trolled on it I yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly so what was it like to get into guildford school at gsa we- we've said it on other podcasts but yeah. in case you're tuning in for the first time gsa is the abbreviation for guildford school of acting where we will train together so yeah. was that a whole host of schools you got into or the school or the I, one you wanted i had been offered musical theatre at Central and acting at GSA. And I think when I'd gone to the audition for Central, I had liked it, but it felt uncomfortable. Also, some people that I had met, because you you just base your opinion on the day that you went there for your audition. A couple of the people that were running the auditions, I really didn't like them. I remember a particular woman who I think about a lot and I'd love to meet her. I did a, I did a speech, I did a song, and she went, do you have anything else? And I was like, um... Well, I can, yeah, well, I mean, and she had an anthology book. So I was like, well, give me the anthology and I'll look through. And she went, I just, I need something. Um, I need to see you be a man. And I, now I wish with what I knew now, I could be back in that room. And like, I, what I would have done now was leave, get into drag and walk, gone back in the room and done exactly the same thing again. Be like, still a man. And I was like, you're the issue. You are the fucking issue be a man i mean that's just so wrong in every way like if you said to someone can you just be a woman yeah that's d- okay hmm. define a woman the kind of woman that you're comfortable with yeah yeah, yeah. You know? absolutely just... also what kind of man yeah you know what i mean it's like can you play a tall man what like, <laughs> yeah that's yeah. it's the same vagueness of mm. i just think especially if, if they're in an acting school i mean if that's the first thing well, what kind of man what kind of person and so 
I thought, mm, no. And my friend Molly uh, was already at GSA and I'd been to visit her a couple of times just to see her. And I thought, oh, I like, I like this vibe. And it felt like they cared. And I remember the, the Helen... She was the administrator yes, in the I first year. Her. I loved her. Yeah. But what was her last name? I went name? there because of her. Oh, I... But I went. Side note, we'll put it in the notes at the yeah, end. Yeah, we'll find it. Yeah. But I think I genuinely went because of her because I went the first year and she's, you know, hello, Peter. And the second year, I remember walking up and she said, hello, Peter, without looking at her list. I thought, oh, you've remembered me. It does, isn't that so interesting as well? It's just like a side note to, to think about because I know when I was applying for drama school, I did it in the opposite way. Where I didn't go for the big, big names of like RADA or, you know, when you think about the, what, the name that everyone in the world will have heard of or if they know if they know the industry. And I didn't go for it because I thought the bar was too high. But I know other people that only go for those ones because everything else would be beneath them. Mm. But actually, it's so great to kind of, go go and and see because when you get there you do get a a vibe of is this where I want to spend my time not just am I going to come out with the name on my CV yeah it's it's amazing and and to meet someone like the administrator who just is like I like her I want I just want to go there because of her Mm. yeah you gravitate towards certain people Mm. and then you find people then in your year that you also have a lot in common with because they've made the same decisions haven't they so Mm. just quickly because you've done so much amazing stuff since but just quickly how how was drama school for you are you happy with the choice that you made (laughs) please say yes because (laughs) this is the one for the gsa listeners yes it was wonderful um (laughs) there's ups and downs right surely i i was speaking to some people who went to gsa a while ago about it and i found myself really defending it that they they were they were not you know, being awful about it, but they said, oh, I'm not sure about this, I'm not sure about that. And I I became quite staunchly defensive about it. I, I don't really know why, because I think because everything has a, it's very weird to look back at it, I think, because it feels like looking back at a different person or a different part of yourself, or it feels like looking into like a portal of a different world. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I learned a lot. I did definitely learn a lot. It It wasn't easy. The course wasn't so hard. It was all the other stuff. It was growing up in that three years and having experiences that are new to you. It's that that's the difficult thing, I think. Being away, you know, from where you're from for the first time properly, you know, for a length of time, being with the same group of people, ten hours a day, five, six days a week, you know, for three years is a lot. And I think you have to maybe not you have to, you're sort of encouraged or sometimes forced to sort of open up in front of people and so I think you do have a special sort of thing with people that you trained with and that you think oh I remember the day you lost it I remember the day you snapped I remember the day that you had an awful day and had to leave the room or whatever or a day when you cracked something and you thought shit you're good and you you knew that they knew that what they'd done that day was better than anything else they'd done so far when I imagine it now it's like surrounded by smoke I just have like the vision of us all being in, um, there was like a central lobby where there was a little Starbucks. I just, that's my remembrance of it. I think there were certain teachers that really made a difference. Even if it's little things that they, if it's like one-liners that they say, like maybe I remember that more than whole terms of stuff. And yeah, some stuff I didn't enjoy. But, I, you know, if you just did things that you enjoy, acting, when I mean, you find yourself a lot of the time doing stuff you don't enjoy, 
drama school is very good practice for sitting Absolutely. in a room and going, yes, I'm having a great time. <laughs> Because you you can't love it all the time, and it can't be it can't be sort of sunshine. And I loved it when we first joined, and they used to say, "Enjoy these three years because when you come out of drama school, you know you're not going to be doing it every minute of every day." And we were like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," and they whizzed by. And then you, I, sometimes I sit and think, I used to get to act all day, every day, surrounded by amazing people, and it was great, and it was tough, and it was exciting, and it was upsetting, and everything. But yeah, you you don't you take it for granted sometimes. I certainly did. I don't know. If you mm. guys felt the same, but yeah, absolutely. But that's one of those things you can't you can't learn it till you learn it. You learn that when you leave, mm. and then suddenly you're in an improvised play where you have to be yeah. two people at the same time. <laughs> there it is. But it's that thing, you know. It's like I remember laughing. You know, you spend all the time as an actor trying to get a job, and then the minute you get a job and you're in the rehearsal room, you will do anything to get out of the rehearsal room. You know, it's like oh, we should go outside and read the scene, or we should go and do anything just to get out but it's like being in school a little bit it's so funny that we all kind of uh, especially i think acting is a good example of that we all work so hard to try and do it and then sometimes when you're in the middle of doing it you're trying to get away which is just it's just human nature isn't it whatever job you're doing even if it's something that you've worked your whole life to do i have that with music too sometimes i'm like we've got a band rehearsal today and i'd really just love to stay at home and watch tv mm. and you're like I've got banned. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? This is ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but yeah. we just, that's human nature. Yeah. I remember it from one of my first, well, my first professional job, which, which was being an ensemble of Jesus Christ Superstar and all the older actors who had the actual roles, they were like, it's five, I'm off, see you later. <laughs> and we were like, but we were in the middle of a scene, you know, but they're just like, it's a job. I'm going home. I want my dinner. And, you know, it, everything becomes a job, doesn't it? In yeah. the end. And yeah. It doesn't mean that we don't love it, but I kind of I, I I was always really interested in that part of it. I like when it's a job. I like I don't know how to say it. It you know it is great and it's exciting and but it also isn't. I I, I feel a bit uneasy when it becomes a sort of fluffy, furry thing. It's like no, just tell the story. I mean, come on, like just say the line and get the hell off. I mean. I remember once there's a, a really, again, another really clear lesson from drama school. We were doing Nicholas Nickleby in third term and I had this big emotional scene at the end where I had to cry and realise that my life had been a waste and and hang myself. Sorry to anyone who's not read Nicholas Nickleby, um, but that's the end. Um, and there was the moment when he realised, you know, that it was all going to fall apart and he had nothing else to live for. I'm looking out into the audience and doing that sort of moment. And it was there. And then I remember the direct shouting from the thing. Oh, maybe people won't get this reference. He's like, for God's sake, Garbo, get on with it. But Greta Garbo has a scene at the end of Queen Christina, if people don't know her, she's looking out, gazing into the sea. And it's like a five minute long shot of just her face gazing. <laughs> and he was basically saying, like, you're not Garbo, get on with it, you know? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. You're right. Stop, you know, don't. Uh, add more in don't fluff it up and frame it just do it and tell the story and, and, and that's it that's that was one. a good lesson yeah, yeah definitely a good lesson so <clears throat> while we were training I guess everyone found their their strengths didn't they like you know some people were destined to go into 
the screen world you just they had the look and everything did you start to develop kind of what you wanted to do because for people oh, that will we'll find out about you in a second but you'd create a lot of your own work when was the point that you'd kind of was that after drama school was that kind of while we were training did you st- start to kind of picture what kind of artist you could make yourself kind of in the industry no i think it was before actually really? i think it was during drama school i had in that year in london before i got in the second time I think I found out I got in. So maybe applications opened in the September. I found out that I, that I had got in by Christmas. So then I knew I had from January to September when we when I would start GSA to do whatever I wanted. And um, somebody asked me to direct a play. I don't know why, but I directed a production of Twelfth Night. And so I, I'd done little things like that, which weren't just acting. And then I think I had made some, I, I had had ideas that I wanted to do. But I think it was writing first and I had written sort of, I mean, essentially just sort of, you know, imitating Victoria Wood and Alan Bennett and, and things like that. And I think I got a bit stuck in a sort of northern, um, you know, you get to drama school and people say, well, what's unique about you? And my thing was that I just had a, I was from Newcastle and I had a, an accent. And so it's like, oh, well, you get anything northern. And so I think I'd really taken that to heart and I, I'd thought, well, I'll, I'll write some stuff as well. And and so I'd written these monologues. I remember writing something for Chris Palmer. We had a, I don't know what the lesson was, but we all had to make something. It was really, it was in first year and we all had yes. to. Yes. So Chris Palmer is one of our, our voice teachers and we it, we had to either write a song in the style. Was it, is that what yes. you're thinking of? Yes, 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 that's write it. A, style, a song in the style of Tim Minchin. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it wasn't even a song. Sorry, maybe that Tim Minchin was a song. That you, it would be write something in the style of one of these people. Yes, I I did. We did Tim Minchin. That's why it was a song. But maybe yours wasn't a song because it might have been somebody else. I think ours was Alan Bennett, and I wrote a scene, a, a four page scene for four of us. I remember writing that and it going very well. And then Molly had already graduated and got out and realised that there was no one knocking on the door. So it started putting on these nights of new writing because. That was essentially what she wanted to be cast in. So she would put on these nights uh, to meet writers, to meet other actors. And she was going to have this first night. She went, but I don't know anybody. And I was like, she's like, so I'm going to need like an hour's worth of material. And I was like, I'll do it. So I just wrote all this stuff. And I think I showed it to a couple of people. I think I maybe read it to housemates and then they went, oh yeah, that's good. So I did that and they were getting performed at nights in Hackney. And so that's how that sort of started. And I think I wrote like some little short, bits of plays and but it never it never sort of made me feel amazing I like doing it but then very quickly it was sort of I think you know you have ideas and it's good to try things and you think oh I, I like doing that and then I just realized I was sort of making you know jokes about biscuits and you know like funny words for tits I don't know do you know what I mean or like different euphemisms or something or they were always sort of like girls smoking chewing gum at a bus stop and I just thought is that is that what I have to say Nah, I think, and then I think I realised I I wanted to talk about something maybe a bit more immediate to me, I think. That's interesting because you've done dance theatre, you've choreographed, directed dance theatre. So Mm -hmm. is that something that you kind of started discovering that, you know, you wanted to say something through maybe not just words, but through... I'd had had an experience at school where I was in a, a dance piece and... A guy called Geraldo C had come over because he had a friend called Jamila who was choreographing this piece on us. And he had happened just to see the piece in a rehearsal one day. 
and he said, oh, you should bring it to Wuppertal. He was dancing for Pina Bausch at the time. So we went to Wuppertal and we were performing in a night of work that dancers from her company were, had made on young people. So we, I think we were the first in this evening and then we would go sit, you know, run around the front of the theatre and then watch the rest of it. And it was all dance theatre, which is something I just not, I've never seen before. And it was so expressive and so, well, actually I hated it at first. And I was like, this is crap. I mean, it's, I, I didn't know. I, I, I couldn't engage with it because I didn't have any sort of reference to it. But then you, we watched the same show every night for two weeks or something. And by the end of it, I remember thinking, it's, it's the best thing ever. It's just, they're communicating, but without narrative story. It's not a play, but it's not dance because I feel really engaged and it's live. They're not performing routines for me. I, I just thought that was a really incredible and then I sort of being a Rupertal found out a lot more about her and her work and what she'd done and just thought that was amazing and I thought god I'd, I'd love to be able to do that or to have that way of of expressing yourself through movement or through performing a task or something like that and I think maybe in second year as well I, I just thought well there's a bunch of us here we're all here all the time and so I think I just asked maybe eight people to come into the studio like after class one day like on a Wednesday I was like oh do you want to stay for an extra hour like have some ideas I'd like to try people said yes and then we just played around and and I thought oh that's interesting I, I'd, I'd like to keep doing that but I think kind of naively at that time I just really just wanted to be Pina Bausch I just thought she was the best I think I thought I want to be able to make things that make people feel the way I feel when I watch Pina Bausch when I watch that work it was I it's I, I can't really describe it it was um we went to see Volmon, didn't we? Yeah, we I remember did. that with all the water. That yes. just came back to me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, something about the, the scale of her work too. It was big and it was epic. And I was like, wow, this is... Um, it felt like if you were a kid and you sort of dreamt up a show, like, and then suddenly the stage fills with water. And, and it does. I just thought, I don't know. I, st I still have a sort of... Um, not as much as I used to. I think you grow out of the people that you really admire, don't you? Move it's into a, other yeah it's a, it's a starting point isn't it you start with somebody who's like everything you want to be and then you maybe get into it a bit and you see that there are other people doing it as well and you also realize what you've got to say maybe and so you don't need them as much yes yeah, they're like yeah. a bit like a parent and then you grow up and then you're like yes i remember what you showed me but now i'm doing it so so you have uh, directed and choreographed your own shows, mm -hmm. which we will get to. But I want to hear about Berlin because this is such, and it, <laughs> it's just such a brilliant job that you did. So after your improvised play, yes, you went to Berlin, and this was very different. Yeah, uh, I'd say than than anything I've ever done. <laughs> it was a it was a play. Well, I I actually didn't go to Berlin. I went back to Wuppertal, which is where I'd been before drama school to take class dance class in this dance house there that's run by Pina Bausch dancers and I was like I don't know what I'm doing nobody's calling me in London I've done this terrible improvised play there's no work here I was selling wine over the phone you know if there's anything more soul destroying and I thought no this isn't in any way creative what do I find creative and I was like thought that that was creative so I, I just booked a flight and went to stay with my friend in Wuppertal. She's like, just come take class here. In the mornings, you can come. You can take two classes. The teachers won't mind. And so I just went. I stayed maybe a week with her. And then a friend of mine said, oh, there's a 
this audition in Berlin, you should go. And so I got on a coach. He looked back and he think, how, why? <laughs> like, how, it, you know, it sounds bonkers talking about it. Yeah, I got on a coach, paid 15 euros to get on a coach and went from Wuppertal all the way across to Berlin. I auditioned for this play. I mean, auditioned is a big word. I went to this director's house and we sat around a kitchen table and he talked, talked to us about the play. He had to spit about ourselves. He's like, thank you very much. And we all left. And then he called me the next day and says, yeah, you've got the job. And it was uh, um, it was called Meat, like M-E-A-T, um, by a guy called Thomas Bo Nielsen, uh, who's Swedish. And it was um, an installation. So he built inside Schaubrunna in Berlin, a village, essentially. And it had five or six apartments, like proper apartments. It had a, a shopping mall in it. It had a nail salon. It had a, a pub, a working pub. It had a, a nightclub. It had a hotel a Chinese restaurant. It was insane. And there was maybe 40 or 50 of us in the cast. It was like a living village. Everyone kept calling it in Berlin, like punch drunk, but on speed. It was like based around this guy called Luca Magnotta, who was a serial killer, who the director had, I think, spoken to on Grinder, I think, and then met him in a nightclub. They danced this night, whatever. The director left. Luca stayed, whatever. It turned out that then later that night, Luca had killed all these people, but he'd been killing people before. And so I think it was to do with how the proximity to that kind of violence that we live in sometimes unknowingly, you know. And the installation, I think, was the director's vision of if you had asked Luca Magnotta, like, tell us about your childhood, how did you get to that point? That's what the installation was. So it was sort of like you were walking around his mind. We all had characters and we worked on them for months and you just worked in your family group. So I didn't meet a lot. I didn't meet a lot of the other actors until the show. And so you would be in the hotel and there'd be these people that you didn't know. And, and they ran, and they actually ran the hotel. I mean, like a proper hotel. And the people who ran the pub ran it like a proper pub. They had to order the beer. They had to do all this sort of stuff. And you worked from like, you know, zero to the time of the play. So you knew exactly what had happened to your character throughout these years. And and we go on trips as, as families. So me, my sister, my character's sister, and uh, we were staying with a friend of hers inside this institution. We were staying with a friend of hers and her husband. So the four of us would go to a pub and have to have an afternoon. That would be the rehearsal that day. We'd have to go to a pub and have drinks together. And the director would be sat at the next table, sort of watching us. And then we'd get notes on it the next day. It was very weird. It was like live in, you know, very like Mike Lee, you know. And then the actual show, once it opened, ran for only 10 days, but it ran solidly for 10 days. So we just lived those people for 10 days. And as an audience, you, it was open 24 hours a day. The audience bought a ticket for four hours and they could come in and just walk around and be part of it and speak to us. I remember the director saying that the, the main rule is you can't ignore the audience. And it was fine. Our, our house was quite open. It had that kind of vibe. But some people would throw audience out of their flat. There was a guy wait, I, I heard from somebody else. He came home one day to find, you know, some audience members in his flat. He's like, what the fuck are you doing in my house? Get the hell out. And they'd be like, well, well we're here for And he's like, what? You, I don't care. Get out. <laughs> He'd throw these people out of his house. It was crazy. And then um, it was... It was a bizarre, I don't think I'll ever do anything like that. It was 
everybody, we all had phones, like character phones. And um, we had to have an online presence. That was our character. So we all had Facebook, but like character Facebook and character email. And, and what would be odd was the audience who are real would come and see the show, add you on Facebook and then go home and then talk to you. So I'm still in the installation acting and they are at home in the real world messaging me or calling me or texting me. It was very odd. It was and sort of the lines of what was real and not real. People, a guy asked me out on a date as my character. He's like, oh, can I meet you in the pub on Friday? I'll meet you at eight. Like I'll come pick you up at your house and take you to the pub. And I was like, yeah, sure. And it was all real. It, but it wasn't because I was, it was a fascinating thing in, in that you, there was no acting because there was no story. We weren't building to anything. Um, there was no, um, this has to happen at this point. You just lived that person's life. And I remember the director saying, you know, don't be worried that it's boring. And, uh, you know, some days I'd sit and watch films for six hours. But that's what people do, like, you know, when you're home or you chat on the phone or, or you'd call, you'd call friends that I had a friend who she worked in the news agent. And so I would call her and be like, oh, you're free tonight. Do you want to hang out? And we'd hang out and go and get Chinese food. It, it was all very, very odd. I don't think I've ever heard of anything quite like that. No. It, same it's not yeah i mean where did the lines get blurred i mean that must have been a bit of a mind meld kind of 10 days just living that and not knowing where the lines were yeah and and how is it on day 10 when you say goodbye to your character it was very odd that i think they showed all the audience out and they and we were allowed to sort of stay in the installation for about four or five hours and everybody just talked and sort of let their character, it sounds, you know, methody or I don't know, but everyone sort of just chilled out and went back to themselves. And I think there was, it was funny, we quickly developed a thing with the other actors or some of them, only some of them, because some of them could do it for the whole time. I couldn't. And I'd have to sort of look at people and be like, just give them a wink or just look into their eyes to be like, we both know this isn't real. Okay, now we're good. Now we can carry on. Because the, the, it gets very quickly distorted, what is real and not real. Also, I was living in a sex dungeon. I should have said that before. But yeah, my, just, you know, throwing <laughs> that in. Yeah, so my, my, uh, myself and my sister had um, run away from England because she had been involved in some kind of crime. I, I want to say she killed somebody, but maybe not as bad as that. Maybe she just really, really beat up somebody I can't remember but we had to leave England so she wanted to get involved in sort of the S&M business so she had met this woman online who we had gone to meet in Berlin and that's who we were staying with so this woman again a character ran an S&M business uh, she was a dominatrix from her house so the living room in our house doubled as a sex dungeon so some days it would be a sex dungeon some days it wouldn't be it was extraordinary. I mean, yeah. I mean, my greatest regret is not coming to see yeah. this show because I really wish I had seen this myself. This would have been, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I'll ever get to see anything like it. No, I mean, the closest things it. I've seen is um, Punch, mm. Punch Drunk. Punch Drunk. Yeah. But they have a plan. I mean, they have, you know, they're, they're doing things. One thing leads to another. They have a bit of choreography. They have a scene. And once, it runs again, doesn't it? It yeah. goes around again in case you missed once anything. Once you leave that and it's hours. sort of expansive and just you go, just live. It's like, oh. 
It's hmm. very odd. And sometimes the audience then start performing. That was, that's very weird. <sighs> So how did you get from that job <laughs> <laughs> back into Peter Groom, the theatre maker, dance theatre maker, and now with an amazing production, um, Natural Duty, the story of Marlena Dietrich, mm -hmm. and, and finding drag in that way. Like, where, When did that start to, or had that been going on for, for a while? I was lucky in that Newcastle, which where I'm from, uh, there's a place called Dance City and they had really invested time in me and they had said, you know, come and make some stuff for us. Here's a studio. You have, have two weeks, play around, see what you make. And they kept doing that sort of every few months. So I kept having this place to go back to, to keep making things. And I think all of these experiences that I was having in Berlin or I was in Manchester for a while was sort of all feeding into that and making me think, well, what do I think is interesting to watch or, or what am I in interested to show or uh, make and eventually I applied to be their artist in residence and they gave me a year of studio time and support so you I could make things and the outcome of the end of that was to make a a show which well, not a full show it was about 30 minutes um which was called Go Away Johnny we did that half an hour and that was the first time that I'd looked for funding and got funding from Arts Council. That was a really formative sort of step because through Dance City, I met a producer who I've been working with since on dance stuff. And now we've just, just in October, just gone that piece is now an hour. They gave us more support. So it's now developed a whole hour. It's like the first full length dancing that I've done. And hopefully we'll tour that in 2020. What else did you ask me? <laughs> how did you, how did you... Drag. Drag. And then, you know, the story of Marlena. Of yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, drag. It's funny, looking back at it, it seems hugely obvious, <laughs> you know? I'm like, well, of course you did that. Because that, I even remember singing a Marlena Dietrich song in um, uh, singing technique class. And the pianist saying, oh, be careful, it's a bit too Marlena now. <laughs> and I was like oh okay and uh, you know hindsight you think god that's funny I had always found her interesting I think I'd known her since I was maybe 13 14 and I first it's the image of her that I first thought was interesting I think she was very she's very cold and she's very distant on first appearance and I think she's not cute and sweet really in any way and I don't think I am and I, I think I, as a 13, 14 year old, super self-conscious, you're, I didn't look like anybody else in our school or anywhere, actually. I was like, nobody looks like me and and, and not in a good way, you know, mm. I thought everybody, I'm sort of huge, very tall and very gangly and um, very thin with this face that isn't particularly pretty or attractive. It's a good face, but it's not, you know, I didn't feel cute or sweet or like a 14 year old should think oh what a nice kid I don't think I was ever that because <laughs> like it's quite serious mm. um so I think her image I thought god that's a really empowering image of somebody who goes I don't give a crap what you think about me I think and then the more more I read about her life I just liked her but it was a sort of private obsession really that I just thought she was fascinating and I learned a lot of her songs just because I liked her and because I wanted to know them and then drag happened Drag happened because a friend of ours, are we allowed to say who? 
Yeah? Yes. Yeah. Matt had a party. You can cut that out if you want to make it sound like we... Oh, no, because we talked about drama school. Yeah. So if you wanted to make it sound like we were like more... I more don't know. professional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no like, way past that. It's all, our, it's all our mates just having a chat. Yeah. Um, uh, just bringing the listeners on for the ride. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Matt had a party, Halloween party, and he's like, I'm going to have a Halloween party. It's going to be big. I'm going to have a great time. Everyone has to go really full out on the costumes. Like, everyone's got to go nuts. So what are you going to do? And I was like, well, I don't know. And he's like, go as Marlena Dietrich. That'll be funny because you love her anyway and just do that. So I did and I, I went all out. I went to that party and someone took a photo at that party and got on Facebook. And then a friend of mine who worked at BAC, who ran the events there, said, oh, I've just seen a photo of you on Facebook as Marlena Dietrich. We're doing this New Year's party. Will you come and host it as her? <laughs> I was like, uh, I'm not a drag performer. She was like, oh, it doesn't matter. Just wear the same thing that you had. And it's this much money. So I, okay. <laughs> I do drag now. I do. I'm very good at it. Um, And so I used that money to buy better makeup that she was going to pay me because I don't like doing anything. I know I like it to look good. And I thought, and also because I really liked Marlena, I didn't want her to look rough, Mm. you know, because I I admire what she did. And I did that. And then I sort of started doing a bit of drag around clubs just because I thought it was fun. And a few people had said to me, why don't you do this? You'd be very good at it. And so I did, but I was, I didn't have an act. I wrote parody songs to like 90s hip hop, R&B things. I'd rewrite the words just to make like filthy jokes and tell some jokes. It was awful. I used to do this terrible thing where I used to, if the audience weren't being nice or if they weren't listening, I'd be like, oh, I want to dedicate this next song. I just checked my phone before I came out and I saw the news about David Attenborough. So I just want to dedicate this song. And the audience would all go, oh. Like, oh, I'm just kidding, he's fine. But now I've got your attention. Let's do the next song. And they amazing. Yeah, but you just think, no, you can't, you can't do that. <laughs> I told it once and a girl cried in the front row. I thought, yeah, I think I, I think I've lost this audience. Well, she should have listened then, you know, in the first <laughs> Well, place. exactly. Exactly. Also, the speed of social media probably would have been gone out on Twitter that something terrible had happened. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> just crazy. But uh, I was but sort of doing bits of drag around and it it wasn't I didn't feel connected to it until a woman I met at one of these shows was an older lady and she said why did you get into drag to begin with and I said oh I really like Marlena Dietrich really that's why and she said oh I knew her daughter and her daughter used to live in London and they lived opposite each other and when Marlena died she gave this woman a lot of stuff so this woman has two glass doorknobs that were on Marlena's bedroom door and so she said do you want them I said "Uh, yes (laughs) yeah and um, I met her for lunch and she gave me them. And I told a friend of mine this and he's like, oh God, just make the show. Like, what more do you need? Like, how many more signs do you need? And I thought, well, yeah, if I approach it like drag as theatre, that's interesting. Because that's, that's what I understand. I understand the theatre part of it. The bit that I wasn't getting was the club feeling like, yeah, here's a quick joke, fierce, whatever. But as a tool to tell a story, that's interesting. And so I thought, oh, I, I could do that. And originally the Marlena thing, it was meant to be half me and half her. So I, it was me talking about my relationship to her. And then I just, every time I had to talk about myself or something, I was like, this is dull. Like she's way more interesting. Let's just talk about her. So that all just got cut. And I just ended up playing her like she was, like she's a person, you know, just like she's a 
just like you would approach any other character. And you collaborated with uh, Ollie Gully as he, he directed it with you. He directed and, it and co-wrote it with co-wrote me. Co-wrote it with you, which is which is a great kind of shout out to you know it's who you know and who you're kind of meeting along the way to to work out who you can collaborate with and and make great stuff yeah. alongside. I really think those people that are around you. I, I really the more and more I think that that it's because I spoke to that person who spoke to that person who I got to know and then now we're doing this thing. I think it can feel very far away, but actually I don't, if you speak to people, then I think it, it, it can really be there. I mean, look at you guys with this. I mean, it's like. And I feel like your whole story that you've told us today, it's its all been connected and moved forward with the people that you knew, who knew what you could do and, and the potential that you had when you were younger. And obviously the skills that you had later on, it's all been connected to that, you yeah, know, people knowing. yeah. yeah. And I think I think sometimes you have to it's a weird balance of using that network that you know, but also leaving it every now and then to find out what you want to do. And because I think you can get locked into an idea of what especially drama school, like what 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 we should have been doing when we left. Oh well I should kind of be doing this now, but I'm not. But, you know, bollocks to that. Like what an actor said to me once and I, I thought it was really nice, after Marlena, he's a great actor. He's amazing. And he's like, Oh, it's really good, I really love it. And I say, oh, thank you. He's like, I could never do that. And I was like, but yo, you could. And uh, he's like, no, 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 I really couldn't. And I thought it was really interesting. And I thought in terms of other people, I could never do what you do or what you do. And so I both I said that to them separately, by the way. I just say that <laughs> twice. Um, you know, it's, so it's also taken that time to reconnect with what I wanted to ask you this, actually, particularly with country music, mm. is Marlena was a private obsession for me before it ever became anything public. Was country music the same for you? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And I really, I'm really hanging on to what you said when the the pianist said it's it's a bit too Molina now. The amount of times you've been told that you're too much of the thing that you then go on to to do and do it really well, mm. and it's like because people don't know necessarily what you're capable of doing yeah. with the stuff that's unique to you. Absolutely. And that, yeah. you know that woman who said, "Can you be a man?" Yeah, yeah. I would you, love yeah. to walk in as Marlena Dietrich now and be like, oh my God. fuck you. Yeah. And and I think sometimes, maybe I always felt that with with um, gender or something. I mean, that's a wider, we've got a huge other conversation. But particularly in GSA, I think you like boys and the girls separate. Yes. Um, you go over here, you do that. Mm. It's like, why why can't you? And in a way, I get it because they're training you to be actors in an industry that is about putting people in boxes. That's the nature of it because they have to cast people, but it's frustrating. I think when you find a way to be like, no, I'm going to make, I want to be in my box actually and not yours. Yeah, because even though the the intention might be, be, you know, it might be well-intended. They're trying to prepare you for, as you say, you know, well, the industry is like this. They cast people as this or that, but are they actually just adding to that? Are they just you know keeping keeping those boxes you know a thing instead of just encouraging you to do your own thing and then mm. the industry actually changes with mm. that and as you, you know you're asking me about the music and stuff and thinking in in um our singing lessons we were there on an acting course but we were still being trained to sing as musical theater performers yeah um which wasn't really helpful because none of us on the acting course really have gone on to do musical theater and if we wanted to that's something that we would pursue, yeah. you know, and I was always told that my voice was like too much 
sounded too much like me and i'm like i don't really understand why that's a problem <laughs> like, honestly like yeah. why do i need to sound like somebody else uh, I, yeah. I, I was gonna say when talking about ticking boxes and things what i love is that the idea of of fitting you what you said pete about fitting yourself into your own box because yeah. that's where you're going to get the authentic work that's where you're going to mm. make the authentic work if someone's trying to put you in a, in, a, in a box that doesn't you might look a certain way but that's not the kind of essence of who you are and what you're going to end up doing no and i think sometimes you know to understand people's obsessions and not obsessions but the things that drive them and interest them that's really interesting and i, I really think that that's what people connect to with marlena they connect to the story but they also connect to the fact that there isn't a box they're not being lied to i'm doing it because i genuinely feel that it's important and that i i have a great deal of respect for her and it's not latched on you know authenticity i think is a strange thing but mm. if you think you could be authentic being a sort of 60 year old german woman <laughs> uh but isn't that odd that that comes from me who is not mm. in any way linked but that's what i mean i think sometimes if i look back drama school stifled that a little bit in me that creativity in an industry like the one that we are in mm. i don't know if it's the same in all creative industries but it seems to be one of the more kind of openly accepting of of everybody and whatever they want to to do and who they are did you ever find a kind of resistance to pursue something like drag in the kind of what 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 some people think or you know or has that always been a I, it's it's fine like um, you love doing it and it's kind of it's true to the performance that you're now doing with the show I think so but I think it's gotten rid of if they come and see the show mm. so you've now done the show you uh the first performances was at vaults yeah Festival. that was that was yeah and I mean we made it to do it for a week <laughs> I mean yeah. we, we, me and Ollie it's been a long week hasn't it yeah it's nuts I, um yeah we did that week and it sold out and went a bit crazy and then from then we got offered edinburgh and then from edinburgh we got we've been to amsterdam uh liverpool we're in new york now we go to australia for five weeks because it is i don't think of it as a drag show when i saw it, i just totally thought i was watching <laughs> i couldn't yeah. i had to keep reminding myself it was you I mean, the dress is absolutely stunning, as are the wigs and the way you do your makeup. I don't even think I could even compare to her. I know, <laughs> I it's incredible. I can't do it as beautifully as you do Thank yours. You. But yeah, so do you just, to kind of, yeah, touch on that, do you feel like it's kind of once people see it and understand it, you feel like more confident with it? It doesn't faze me. It feels like an acting. It yeah. feels like a play to me. And the drag is, is, um, is a costume mm. because that is what she would wear because that's what she wants to present to the outside world in that context of a cabaret theatre show, which is where the show is based, but then it goes off and tangents and goes back in time. But I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot of work, but I like that because it's, it's, it's a, it's another kind of work, you know, and particularly in Edinburgh, you know, I'd be in a dressing room getting ready and people would come in, two people would come in, prepare and do their show and I hadn't gone on stage yet because I was still getting ready, you know. But it's a different kind of it's a different kind of work. But in terms of whether people had cast me as that, I don't know. I think that's a really difficult thing. If you are, a, I've got no interest in imitating heterosexuals in my own life or on stage, particularly. The amount of times I've been told, "Can you just play it a bit butcher? Or could you play it a bit straighter? Or could you find some more weight in your body?" And I think that's really, really uh, reductive to people and 
and kind of insulting. Maybe it fits a story that this character, you know, it's a difficult thing because of course you're an actor and you're playing a character. But I think there's also bigger things going on in the world than just that. And I think if you try and hide what you're, who you are, why? But like you said, there will be people that can play though that that are right for those things, and you're going to be right for the things that and like absolutely is the same. Yeah, and what feels really nice with Marlena is it feels like since I've done it, I'm like, oh, I feel kind of natural in this. I I understand this way of moving. It feels good to me. It's a something dream about it that yeah, I think somewhere you can see that that there's somebody sort of going showing something of themselves. Drags, I mean, drags like that anyway. I mean, you'd think that putting everything on would cover you up. No. The minute you put people in drag, you find out who those people really are. I put a friend of ours in drag, and the minute I put him in drag, he just changed. And this mean, <laughs> I mean, I know, he has that anyway, but like this mean, really sarky, cutting person came out. And it's it's a character. It's it's We all have those people in us. Maybe I intentionally covered it up for a long time. It's maybe catapulted you to also think I'm going to create my own world and be able to yeah. showcase myself in the way that I feel best to. Yeah, maybe that's and it. There's, there's, yeah, there's kind of however many sides there are to this industry or any creative industry where you're kind of fighting against a lot of oversaturated, mm. you know, the fact that so many people. But I think I th- creating your own work is, is an amazing yeah. thing to do. I think it's especially, you know, you know, because you go to create, yeah, creative, commercial castings and things like that where they just really see you as a product and you're there because you're six foot tall, this kind of looking person. And um, the more and more I go to them now, I just think, no, I, d- I, d- I just don't want it. And those things pay and, and you can make a good living off them, but I'd much rather work a hell of a lot harder, I think, by making my own stuff and not have to answer to that. Because, you know, they're not doing it for them. I think, you know, you, you go into acting, you do something creative because you have a need to. Why would you want to have somebody else dictate that need? I guess anyone who I would really identify with as a as an artist, I'm thinking of people that I put up in my icons list. You think yeah, yeah, they're, they're wanting to give something, they're wanting to, to create and speak from themselves. And I think that's hard to do if people are constantly trying to make you something else than you're not. I think it's a, I think that's why we love people so much that do. My first one, it just popped into my head was someone like Kate Bush, who is just her. And yes, sometimes you go, this is batshit crazy, but it, I, I get it because you're, you're really from you. And she's had to create an environment in which she can work the way she wants to work. With all the industry uh, experience that you've had and times at drama school and not getting in the year that your friends got in mm. was has there been a, a point where you felt what am I doing this for I cut I'm just gonna be struggle after struggle <laughs> it's never yeah, not gonna be a struggle was there a point where you're like I want to do something else where I can just <laughs> not have to struggle in this way I remember with dance work I was making it was very dance theater based and a lot of people didn't like it I remember a woman having an argument with me after a show once. She came up to me and found me. Shouldn't you choreograph that? And I said, yeah. And she went off for about 20 minutes. Yeah, that was rough. About? About, well, 
she said that she she's like I just think it's she called me an arty bastard, and then she said she said oh you know it was just so frustrating and and I just found myself at one point like really laughing and then I just got really sad and then I became really angry and she listed this all this stuff that she'd felt during this thing and and I just sort of stood there and had to I just nodded because I thought no what you have done is feel something and what you don't like is that from the content that you saw you don't understand why you felt that way and that's fine by me I like that as a person, I like when you're like, "Why do I feel this? This is, uh, you know, from watching something quite simple." Um, but I understand that for some people, that might be strange. And I remember really having around that time to really defend my work to a lot of people, a lot of the time. And I thought I'm spending more time here defending what I'm doing than actually doing it. And so I really made a conscious decision to. I think I left what I was doing for a while, and I just thought, no, I'll do it when I want to do it. There was no times with Marlena where I've had that actually. I had one guy, <laughs> one guy in New York, said, "I really like your show. It's really beautiful, but you're wearing the wrong shade of lipstick." <laughs> like, if that's the only thing you have, and he said you're she wore really... Acapulco pink and walked off. <laughs> so if that's your only issue, we're good. You know? At least you've targeted the proper proper fans yes. with the your show but with with now with with natural duty and obviously that being so successful or maybe even before then did you have a moment where you're like i've found my way and you know i have i have an idea of who i am as a director as an actor as a theater maker that made you want to keep doing this for the rest of your working life oh jeez um, do you want to do this for the rest of your working life? I don't I know. Ask. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll have no more ideas. I doubt that. <laughs> but you don't know. As people yeah. a lot of the time at the moment are saying, like, so what's after Marlena? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm still in it. I'm still on the ride. That's still going. I'm about to do it again. And then maybe there's more scope for her afterwards. But right now I'm not, I'm not already there. Do you mind if we say, I don't know if we were recording and we said about talking about you and I were both comparing how we look at what we're going to do next. And I said, I'm quite goal driven that, you know, I'm, I have to remind myself that I'm doing it right now and I can enjoy that process. And actually you were saying that goal isn't, the goal bit isn't really your drive. It's kind of finding what interests you at each moment and, and doing that. Yeah. 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 Is that to kind of leave our listeners with something, if there's anyone listening that wants to kind of pursue any type of career, whatever it may be, that might be a bit of a, a tough start or tough the whole time that we're doing it, but some like a kind of words of wisdom from you of what you would kind of say to keep someone going or to even get started in it. How do I mean it's not sound vague and sort of hippie-ish? Because I don't think it is. It's much more practical. I think if you can connect to what you what excites you and what drives you and whether that's a very private thing at the moment it might well be. There might be a point where you can translate that into something that might be more outer and um, that you could perform or, 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 or just make into something commercial, not the word commercial, something viable that other people can engage with. So it becomes not just a private thing, but a, something that you could share with somebody. I, I reckon that is a really good way to do it. There's a great Martha Graham quote that I always tell people. I gave it to one of my dancers. She was having a really tough time in a rehearsal once um, because she was the only actor. She didn't train as a dancer, she was an actor. And there's a big group of dancers and it was eight of them. So seven dancers and one actor. 
and we'd warm up and a lot of it was dance and very complicated and and she was finding it really tough because she was like I'm not these people I can't do what they can do and um I gave her this quote by Martha Graham and it I'm going to paraphrase it but she basically says there's a vitality and a life force inside of you and because there is only you and this time now if you don't do it in this time it won't exist and the world won't have it and it's not your job I actually got it quite well it's not your job to worry about how valuable it is or how it compares to other people's your job is just to keep the channel open and i think that that would be what i would say is if you can get that channel open and keep it open and defend it cuz people will want to stick their oar in or try and make it wider than it is and try and get a bit of it but you, you just have to sort of say no that's my force and i think for me there's something really empowering in the idea that because there's only this time now and I am the only person of me that exists in this world. If I don't do it, nobody will. And then it's dead to the world. So any contribution is worth it. If people want to find your work or connect with you on social media, what's your are you on Instagram or what's Yes, it's usually at Peter Groom, I think on Instagram, I think Twitter it might be at underscore Peter Groom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's this Dietrich Natural Duty Facebook pages and Twitter pages with Amazing. upcoming dates and so good to, to speak to you. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. On Monday's episode, we speak to Abby Russell, who is a model who has created a really unique career for herself in becoming a body confidence activist, uh, really fighting to encourage women to be proud of their bodies, whatever shape and size. Don't forget to subscribe to My Amazing Mess so you get our latest episodes. They, they were discussing what everyone would be in the class if they were food. <laughs> and he and he said, Peter, you'd be, you'd be a Caesar salad. <laughs> I don't know what, what to make of that. Yeah, I didn't know either. Because I, I wouldn't even want to order a Caesar salad. You'd be like, oh, I'd love a Caesar salad. Mm-hmm.